0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Doom to Bloom podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Stacy, who's going to talk to us about surviving trauma and how she works with adults with unresolved childhood trauma.
1: Hi, Stacy. Hey, how are you?
0: I'm good. How are you? Great. Good. Thank you for being a guest. You were one of the very first couple of chunks of people that actually reached out, so I
1: really appreciate that. Yeah, I'm excited for it.
0: And just before we get started, I always like to ask the guests where they are coming from. So I, just, I, <laughs> I just find it fascinating that, you know, the world is so big, but really in the online world, it seems kind of small.
1: Yeah. So I live in New Jersey and I'm in a part of New Jersey that is just 30 miles um, west of downtown Manhattan. Okay. Yeah.
0: So you're, you're pretty far. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's awesome though I just I find that so fascinating that you know the world is so big but then at a click of a button we can connect
1: absolutely so cool.
0: yeah and so I kind of gave a little summary of what our conversation is going to be about today but we are ready to hear
1: your wisdom and your story whenever you are ready Stacey Thanks. So yeah. So where, where's a great place for me to begin for your guests? Do you
0: want to start with kind of your personal traumas and then we can work our way into
1: your work that you do now? Sure. Of course. So, you know, I think it's important for people to know what trauma is and what trauma is. I guess I shouldn't say what it isn't. Most people don't really understand trauma and the word trauma and trauma really comes from the root origin of the word wound and trauma can be any kind of wound, right? That's unhealed. So it can be emotional, physical, psychological, relational, mental. And so I think for me, You know, what was so confusing to me is I didn't know that growing up. I always thought that trauma had to be what I call the three A's, acts of aggression, acts of violence, and acts of abuse. And though there was some abuse at some point in my childhood, I still didn't think it was trauma. So I've been on my own journey Um, understanding that. And that is not something I fully really recognized until I was probably in my 40s. But my story is kind of interesting because when I look at my life, I kind of cut it at like the 10, 11 age mark. Like I look at my ages of zero to 10 or 11 as being pretty idealistic and and relatively simple. Though if I looked at it from an observer role, maybe I'd think differently, but that's how I've always seen it. And that's how I always felt. Um, parents were married. I was one of two children, And though my father worked a lot and traveled a lot and was not really present, um, and even when he was home, he wasn't present, I don't ever recall feeling anything other than relaxation and happiness in my childhood. However, that said, around the age of like 10 or 11, my parents got separated and again, I had like not a single memory of them ever fighting. I had no memory of any kind of dysfunction or any discord. But yet when I found out that they were going to get separated, there was no part of me that was shocked. So I always think that that's really interesting. I don't, I remember being sad, but I don't remember being surprised, even though I don't have any memory of dysfunction. So I always think that that's really an interesting tidbit of information, but long story short, they get divorced and that's not really the trauma. The trauma was them both quickly getting remarried. So they were divorced in August. My father was remarried in November and my mother was remarried in January. The the challenge, the adversity came from both of them marrying people that were clearly not going to be great step-parents. And you could kind of see it well before they got married. So, you know, you had these two adults who at the time were in their thirties, who clearly didn't want to be alone because they both moved into something very, very quickly. And weren't courageous enough to say, this is not gonna be good for my children. So both ended up getting into these very significant relationships where we were not really taken in as bonus, but more like baggage. So when you are seen that way, you're treated that way. And I think even above and beyond that, the more challenging thing in that experience was the lack of protection. So we went from this idealistic, very relaxed, very calm household, in my opinion, to very chaotic on both sides, in both homes, very dysfunctional, and no one standing up and saying this is not okay. So that was kind of my foray into really from ages 11 to 21 being a very, very different scenario. And so how did that
0: I mean obviously it affected you but can you shed some light on the various ways that it affected you? Yeah, I think sure. I think kind of like what you said is people don't necessarily realize what trauma is and kind of like the 3 A's they just assume that it's something that's you know really big and like just huge and i think yeah. they're stereotyped into certain certain traumas or certain mm-hmm. things. Whereas I would agree with you. I had a similar experience and I would say that was also trauma, but can you shed some light on
1: the ways that that did affect you? Yeah, absolutely. So again, you know, you don't know what you don't know, right? So I'm a child of the seventies. So by the time I'm 12 years old, it's 1983 and or whatever that is, I was born in 71. Yeah, I was 12. It was 1983. And I can vividly remember my very first panic attack, but I didn't know what I was experiencing. I knew what I was experiencing was incredibly uncomfortable, but I had no language to it. So, you know, it was the night before my mom was getting remarried and I just had such deep confusion in my system. I couldn't resolve or understand how this was happening when it was clear it was not Healthy in the family, and yet it was still going to happen. And I remember feeling very, very alone, and very, very confused, and scared. And I end up having this incredibly foreign sensation in my body, where I feel like I'm going to throw up. My stomach is an absolute mess. I feel like I have an acela train running through my chest. My throat feels like it's going to close up. Um I'm cold and I'm just um, I literally don't even know what to do with this physical sensation in my body. And I do end up throwing up. And I, I really don't know what's going on, but later down the road, 30 years later, I can absolutely recognize that as a, my very first panic attack. And so when you're 13 or 12, And it's 1980 something, you know, we're not now where things are so much more out in the open and people are talking about it. And I could hop on to TikTok or Instagram as a teenager and and start understanding what it was I was experiencing. I was in this vacuum. I had no idea what I was experiencing and I had no one to go to with it. So, you know, unresolved, this can cause a tremendous amount of physical manifestation, which I call anxiety, panic, depression. I found myself sick a lot. My immune system was weak. Um, I missed a lot of school. I got very, very sick my sophomore year of high school where I missed a tremendous amount of school and nobody could ever point back medically as to what was wrong with me. They were very confused but my body was shutting down and you know, now that I know what I know it was clearly my body, keeping the score and having a tremendous amount of what I would call chronic prolonged stress um, for many, many years. So, you know, not knowing what I was going through, it was also, that was a little bit of the trauma, right? It was like this feeling of helplessness and powerlessness and hopelessness. Cause I didn't understand why these things were happening.
0: And so fast forwarding a little bit, how did you end up? I mean, we kind of touched on your role, but how did you end up discovering that that is what the root cause was for all of those things that you were experiencing?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a journey and I don't know when the exact moment was that I started to pinpoint it, but I think I got wise enough in my 40s to start to recognize the mind body connection. And, you know, coming out of these experiences, I was very easily triggered for a fight or flight response. I was the kind of person that literally just walked around in a state of anxiety for probably 20 years, not knowing that I was in that state because it had become my norm, right? Um, what was a aha moment for me was I had gotten to such a deep gratitude practice. I had been meditating. I had been walking with this really intentional, purposeful gratitude practice from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed. And so in my mind, I had also been through like 20 years of therapy where my last three therapists each literally dismissed me as not needing their services because they said I got it. So my mind, I understood what I had been through and I understood its challenges and I was very easy to talk about it and I had gained deep wisdom from the experiences. So I was a wisdom speaker. I was somebody that people went to all the time, just random people, even in a food store, people would just come up and start talking to me and share like these deep, dark secrets. My husband would always be like, what is going on? But, so I had the knowledge in my mind, I understood everything I had experienced, and I actually had deep gratitude for a lot of it. However, my body had not kept up. So even though I knew it, and I had an understanding of what was going on, I still had this very uncomfortable sensation in my body that I can now call anxiety and stress and panic, that just would not leave. And it was during a three-day panic attack where I was at the 72nd hour of being in this state of being that I just was, I cracked. And I was like, I cannot do this anymore. And I reached out to a coach. It was um, a woman who was a clinical hypnotherapist at the time. I had had her number for two years. And I finally called it and I said, listen, I don't know what's wrong with me because in my mind, I get it. Every therapist I've been meeting with lately is like, you've got it. Like the work is done, but clearly the work's done, not done because my body is not caught up to my mind. And that's when I started to recognize how deep that connection was. And I would say at that time I was 41. So that was 11 years ago because I'm 52 this year. Wow. And how do
0: how are therapists able to say that it's, quote unquote, resolved mm-hmm. mentally? But like, is there a different training or is there something more to understanding kind of the physical? Such a good
1: question. So, you know, uh, this was part of the confusion, right? Because I just assumed that, you know, the therapists know all and the psychologists know all and the s- psychiatrists know all. And at one point I was working with a psychiatrist because the anxiety was so bad. The physical manifestation of this was so bad that I was on a medication. What I've come to learn and realize, and it's you know something that's been confirmed to me by the village of psychotherapists and psychologists and therapists and psychiatrists that I work with or that people in my own family work with, is that there is no such thing as real trauma training for these mental health professionals in their curriculum. So if you're going to come, which is shocking, if you're going to become a master of social work, which is what you need here in the States to become a therapist, or you become a psychotherapist or a psychologist, maybe you'll have a class, a three or four credit class, but like it's not the overarching curriculum of a therapist or a mental health professional to be focusing on trauma. And learning about what happens in the body, there's like five different after effects of trauma. It's biological, it's neurobiological, it's relational, mental, and emotional. So I didn't know that. I always thought it was just mental and emotional, right? I didn't even know that it could affect the way that your brain functions or that it would affect your body by way of the vagus nerve or any of that. And I don't know that the therapist knew that either. What I've come to learn now is that any therapist that is a trauma therapist is because they have gone through extraneous extracurricular training, specifically in trauma. It is not inherently a part of their curriculum. So I didn't know that. I just assumed that they would know all the reasons why. Um, somebody would be stuck. So when I went forward and I got my own training and my own certification as a trauma recovery coach, it became very, very evident to me that I had training in areas that the therapists that were treating people in my own family didn't even have. And do you
0: know why that is? Because that seems kind of scary.
1: <laughs> it's a little strange. I, I don't know why that is. I'll be honest. I don't know why that is. Um, a really, really great book for people to get a deep understanding of the reality of that situation is a book called The Body Keeps the Score. It's written by an MD a psychiatrist. His name is Bessel van der Kolk. And The Body Keeps the Score has been on the New York Times bestsellers list for, I think, three years. So this is not like an alternative hidden in the back corners of a closet book. This is a book that a lot of people have been reading. It's been out getting a tremendous amount of press. And he really starts to to dig in and and get people to understand that the idea of trauma and the idea of even post-traumatic syndrome or complex PTSD really did not start coming into the mix until the 90s. Up to that point, there was kind of this understanding that people who came out of war had some sort of post-traumatic stress, but they did not really understand that just human civilian people, people living life, people coming out of dysfunctional households, which so many of us do, have a form of a stress disorder or post-traumatic stress or complex PTSD outside of being in a war or witnessing a horrific accident or crime or in, you know, event. That's very much a new concept that really didn't come around to the 90s, which again was pretty surprising to me. So it is my hope that as people are becoming more trauma and trained, you know, trained and more trauma informed and more trauma aware that the curriculums for these healthcare professionals and these mental healthcare professionals will um, modernize a little bit. I just, I find
0: that, I guess the best word is scary.
1: (laughs) It is a little scary because look, when we're, when we finally end up going and seeing a therapist and it was always my assumption that this was just an inherent part of their training. So what I always say to people is, um, if you're looking to work with a therapist, which I'm kind of the kind of person, no judgment, like if you don't work with me as a trauma coach, like no harm, no foul. I just want you to get your help. However you feel it's best for you. So when I have people come to me and say, what should I look for in a therapist, knowing this is my background and that there is a lot of trauma, I always say, well, just ask them, like, what is your experience with trauma? Where did you get trained in trauma? What part of your curriculum was trauma training, trauma informed, which is, there's a big difference between trauma informed and trauma trained. Um, Ask them if they're familiar with ACEs, ask them what kind of trauma um, survey or scoring assessment that they have available or that they use in a consistent basis So you can gain an understanding of their ability to help you. Because I'll I'll be honest, like when I talk to the psychiatrist that treats my family and we talk about trauma, he's the first to tell, and he's in his seventies, he's the first to tell me I have much more knowledge on trauma than he does. And now we're starting to bounce around different ideas of how we can support each other because this is not an area of expertise, which is interesting because this is my personal point of view. This is my personal philosophy. This is not anything that's like written in stone, but I think that a lot of psychiatrists are treating unresolved trauma. Mm -hmm. So if you're not trauma informed, you're really, they're trained to look at the biology and the neurobiology and the effects of what's happening to someone and give them a diagnosis and treat them pharmacologically from that diagnosis, which is all based on the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic Statistics Manual on version five now, they have to use that in order to get paid by insurance. So they're going to try to find the fit and they're going to make the diagnosis, but there's nothing in that book that is trauma-informed. And I, it's crazy for me to even say that. And Mastin Kip, who's a really widely known um, speaker and an influencer and thought leader in the space of trauma recently just did a really great Instagram post on this about how uninformed the DSM-5 is when it comes to trauma. And yet most of what we're treating is from a traumatic place. So uh, there's, a, there's a big gap, um, which is hard to understand, but it is there and it does exist. And, you know, my goal is to help try to close that gap by getting people under, you know, informed and educating them so they can really get the help that best fits their needs. I think I heard this is probably
0: months, if not years ago. But I have obviously been on my own healing journey and working through trauma. And I've, I've experienced the same or similar experience as you where they say, you know, you do, you know, all the coping mechanisms, you know, how to change your mindset, you know, the yeah. internal dialogue, but I'm like, but I'm still struggling. There's still other yeah. things. And so I ended up talking to, she's just a colleague, like she doesn't have any, any training in the realm of psychologists or psychiatrists or anything like that. But she told me that when she was doing, I guess, her own research into the DSM, Mm. that um, PTSD is the only Mm -hmm. disorder labeled in that book that has had something happen to the person and not a
1: biological or a chemical imbalance. Right. And so it's really interesting. I mean, this is why if people, I can honestly say, if any of your audience is interested in what it is that we're talking about, The Body Keeps the Score is a great book to read because he does such a good job of describing everything we're talking about. But I just recently came back from... Um, the International Trauma Conference. It's an annual conference in Boston and it's held by Bessel van der Kolk's Trauma Research Foundation. And so I I saw him speak there amongst many other experts in the field. And, you know, I had known this from reading his book, but then of course it was talked about more at the conference, which is they actually went out and contracted Bessel van der Kolk to come up with a more appropriate and new... um, diagnosis, if you will, for the DSM-5 that is rooted in trauma. And he had called it developmental trauma disorder. And the whole idea behind this new um, item for the book was that there are things that happen to us that are traumatic and it changes the way that we relate to ourselves, others and the world around us. And here are all of the after effects. I mean, there's just so many. And he spent five years building research to back up this this diagnosis type. And it was ultimately denied by the DSM-5, saying that there actually wasn't enough research. I mean, he couldn't have had more research. Um, It was very, very clear. And you're right, there's there's really, other than PTSD, very, very few diagnoses in the DSM-5 that relate back to trauma, But here's what I can tell you. As somebody that works solely in the area of trauma, knowing all of the after effects it has on somebody, many of these diagnoses in the DSM-5 are a series of symptoms. But they're also very, very similar to the after effects that somebody has from trauma. So group them together and call them X, Y, or Z without looking at what actually happened. You know, why are we showing up this way to just go back and say it's only biological and only genetic is, is a false misnomer. It's not true. Um, and so there's a big gap there as well. And I think that, you know, certain people like Mastin Kip and Bessel van der Kolk and Gabor Mate are really putting themselves out there by kind of getting people to be more aware, radically aware that all is not what it seems. Um, And so being on that, you know, trajectory or whatever you would call it, being on that mission for them to really help people get more educated for themselves so they can advocate for themselves and get a deeper understanding of why they're so stuck is really such a huge part of the healing journey. It's, it's really it's agency, right? It's getting empowered and getting a better understanding and not just simply relying on people that we would expect to be the experts.
0: Do you know if there's a potential changes or training changes happening
1: like, I don't. At all? I, I don't because I'm, I'm not in that space. Right. But the reality is, is I cannot imagine that some of these governing you know, entities are not sitting back and looking, especially the universities that are training psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists, um, mental health professionals. There has to be a modernization of what they're teaching. And actually I have um, a nephew. And I have one of my son's good friends that are both going into the area of neuroscience and psychology at university. And I'm throwing them these books because I know that they're not, it, it, if I doubt that the curriculum has been caught up yet. So it's really, really interesting. Um, and again, it's all about awareness and, and getting a deeper understanding of um, all of it. I mean, even down to internists and medical professionals. There's another great book called The Myth of Normal. It's written by Gabor Mate, who is a trained internist, um, turned trauma specialist and traumatologist, if you will. And he specializes in the area of addiction. But in his book, Myth of Normal, he talks a lot about the physical manifestations of trauma and this current chronic prolonged stress. And I see it in my own practice. I myself was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis in 2020 before I was 50 years old with no family history of it. And I knew what I was looking at. So I started doing some very deep internal work to try to decrease the inflammation in my body that was showing up as rheumatoid arthritis. But if I have 10 intakes in a month, and I have in my questionnaire, have you ever been diagnosed with an autoimmune or rare complex disease? It's like 60 to 70%. You know, six out of seven out of 10 are sharing wow. a multitude. And some have more than one autoimmune. So and they, they haven't connected the dots. So with your training, I'm going to ask you a loaded question.
0: Okay. <laughs> so... I don't know if you've listened to the first episode of the podcast and if not that's fine but that was my that was my intro into the big why of why I'm doing the podcast it was my story of eating disorders and mental health struggles and addiction for a bit and mm-hmm. sexual assaults and all these things
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so I can confidently say without the trauma training that I have a lot of traumas in my past. And I can also say that they're unresolved. Mm-hmm. Now I saw a doctor. I, I want to say it was fall of 2022. So not that long ago, um, like maybe eight or nine months ago. And she actually okay. diagnosed me with Crohn's disease. Okay. Do you think like, what are the odds that it's more, Trauma manifesting and built up versus actually having an autoimmune disorder.
1: So look, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not putting myself out there medically. I'll just tell you the things that are coming to my mind, okay? Are you familiar with the vagus nerve? I am. Okay. So we have this nerve for people that are listening that don't know about it. We have this nerve that comes out of the back of our brainstem and it goes all the way down into our stomach and it goes down through our throat, through our chest and lands in the stomach. And it's called the vagus nerve. And when we're in prolonged chronic stress, or we're in threat, there's a part of our brain called the amygdala that gets engaged. And the amygdala is where we have our fight or flight or freeze or a fun response. This is how we cope and we survive threatening situations. Even if it's not like a real threat, like a bear chasing us down, the moment our mind believes we're in any kind of threat, it's going to get engaged. And when that gets engaged, our vagus nerve will activate. That's the mind-body connection. It just it's like turning on a light switch and then a bunch of lights go on. You flip on the amygdala and the vagus nerve gets activated. When we find ourselves in our formative years. So they say our formative years are zero to seven, some people say it's zero to 12, some people say it's zero to 18. But you know, you're talking about the years before you're 20 years old. If you find yourself in scenarios, where your amygdala is getting flipped on more times than not, right? People can call that chronic prolonged stress. People can call that complex PTSD. But when you find that it keeps getting switched on, 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 now your vagus nerve is hijacked, right? So what do we know? We know that There's something called ACEs. ACEs is an acronym for Adverse Childhood Experiences. It's this big, long study that was done in the United States by the CDC and a healthcare system called Kaiser Permanente that kind of looked at environmentally what's happening in households, uh, relationally with caregivers before somebody's 18 years old, how those things affect us physically. And the study shows that certain ACEs scores yield a higher likelihood to be diagnosed with things like cancer, things like stomach disorders, things like coronary issues, pulmonary issues, and autoimmune issues. Okay. part of the reason is because when our amygdala is activated all the time, that means our vagus nerve is hijacked all the time. And when your vagus nerve is hijacked all the time, your body has to respond in kind. So what are we doing? We're getting immense amounts of adrenaline, cortisol. The inflammation in our system is outrageous and it can't not affect different parts of our body. So if people are curious about this, what you want to Google and what you want to look up is ACEs. So it's A-C-E-S. It's an acronym for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And you might look up, in your case, ACEs and Crohn's disease. For me, the moment I got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, knowing my background and knowing what I knew, I literally sat in my car in the parking lot and pulled open my phone and looked at ACEs and rheumatoid arthritis. And based on my own ACEs score, my likelihood of being diagnosed with something like that was like 85%. So I took that knowledge and tried to heal from the inside out. I, I would consider myself in quote unquote remission because it'll come back in flare ups, but it lasts, you know, maybe a day, not like weeks, right? So to me, that's progress, So when it comes to, you know, your particular case, I don't know your history. I don't know your background. I'm certainly not a doctor. I'm not even going to pretend to try to be a doctor, but I think it's a mistake that these doctors are not trained in these things. Because when I went back to my rheumatologist and I said, "Hey, what's your understanding of ACEs? Because my score is a five. She's like, oh, I've heard of it, but I don't really know anything about it but yet she's treating primarily autoimmune challenges. So the question I would have you did you go, who diagnosed it for you a gastroenterologist? It was a just a doctor. Just like a, not a, okay. not a specialized interesting. Yeah. I would go back and ask them. And if they say I don't know anything about it, I would ask them if they'd be interested in reading some Journals. I mean, this is the CDC. So, uh, so if they're interested in reading anything about how experiences in our life can affect us in a way from the stress that could cause some of these issues that show up, check the boxes for Crohn's, rheumatoid, Sjogren's, hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's. I mean, I see it over and over and over again.
0: Hmm. Is there somewhere that
1: listeners or myself can actually do the ACEs test? Oh yeah, I mean, really, all you have to do is is um, Google ACEs survey, and you'll find them all over. Um, certainly, the CDC has it on their website for sure. Um, I have a an ebook that I've written that's right on my website, and the name of the ebook is "What Is Trauma Really?" and I actually put the the score or not, not the score, but the survey in my ebook. Um, but what's nice about when you do it online and people that go to my website, I have hyperlinks to all of the different surveys online just to make it easy. Um, they can, you know, do it and come up with their score very, very quickly, but really it's 10 questions or at least the original test was 10 questions. And every question's one point. Okay. There were some things missing from that. So there was nothing in the survey that talked about being part of a marginalized group or growing up in a marginalized, um, you know, community. So there are some pieces that are also inherently traumatic to the system that were not included. So sometimes you'll see an ASIS survey now that's a little bit more extended. Maybe it's 14 or 15 questions. My intake from my clients, if they want to do a discovery call with me, I give them an ASIS scoring system right in my intake form and minus 14 questions. But it gives me an understanding because I'll tell you this, if somebody writes down on my survey why they're coming to see me and they say they're stuck and I ask them if they have autoimmune and I can see what they what they have, if they have any autoimmune challenges. And you know, if my set of questions is 14 check boxes and they've checked off eight or 10 or 12, and nobody's asked them these questions before and they don't know why they're stuck. That right in and of themselves gives them great understanding, even just in our first call. Because now they can start to connect the dots. And that feels like empowerment, to be honest with you. Hmm. Wow.
0: And so I feel like that's a perfect segue into more of a conversation on the work that you do. What... I mean, obviously everybody has different traumas and everybody is just unique in their own ways, but can you
1: enlighten us on some of the work that you do as a trauma coach? Sure. So I always like to say, though it's not it's not fixed because I do see quite a few men these days. But I tend to say that I work with women between the ages of forty and seventy, who learned a set of coping strategies before they were eight years old that kept them going until it didn't work anymore. So I often see people, you know, in my practice who um, are very very stuck, who have lived their lives in a certain way that is no longer sustainable. For women, I often see people who have been extreme people pleasers, inability to lack um, boundaries or to set boundaries, um, so, so concerned with other people's opinions of themselves, maybe drawing from a place of perfectionism, often have some sort of physical manifestation of all of this stress. And what I'm able to help them do is go back and start to map out what was their life like and where did some of these stressors come in and how early did they come in? And more importantly, what did you choose to believe about yourself during that time? You know, I talk a lot about core beliefs and I tend to say that our core beliefs are set by the time we're between somewhere between the age of eight and 12. That means between the ages of zero and eight or 12, we've had enough experiences during a very developmental part of our life that has caused us to see our own selves in a certain way, others in the world around us through a very particular lens. And we develop coping strategies in order to meet that. And very often they work. That's why we do it. And they work up to the point where they don't work anymore. And they don't work anymore because it's actually not really in alignment with our true authentic self. It's something we learn to do to cope, survive, thrive. But when it's not really a part of your authentic self, at some point that will show up. And some people see it as imposter syndrome. Some people see it as just never feeling enough, not feeling worthy or deserving of what it is that they want. Or what they have, they don't feel like they should have. So there's so many different ways that this can show up. But ultimately, the best word to use is that people feel stuck and they feel discontent and they feel happy. And more times than not, they're exhausted. And so they end up coming to me usually by way of referral. And we start to take a look at not just what their life was like, but we do a little intergenerational work. like What was your parents' life like? What what lens through which they were parenting you, what were their grandparents' experiences, the great-grandparents' experiences? Because I find our generations carrying a backpack of like six, seven generations deep of coping strategies that don't work anymore. So I kind of help them unpack that bag and figure out which ones did they put in themselves, which ones did they inherit, and which ones do they want. And that's really where we work. And I use a very specific a therapeutic model that I can do under hypnosis called rapid transformational therapy for people that are interested in that experience to help them get very clear and understand what the core beliefs were that they developed and around what age. So they can see through the adult lens that that is either appropriate or not appropriate for them anymore. And then kind of build off from there.
0: Wow. Wow. That it sounds like incredible work that you're doing. and And how long do people maybe on average stay working with you?
1: Yeah. So I work with people in two ways. One, I just call straight up coaching and that's just one-to-one coaching. It can be done in my office in New Jersey, or it can be done over Zoom. I work with clients all over the world. And that's just really what it sounds like. It's one-to-one coaching. It's conscious level. Everybody's aware and present and we're working through the stuff. Okay. And I have a, a number of, of tools that I can use with that through my trauma recovery coaching for P pe- and that can go on as long as you want. I usually sell those in packages of four. Some people stay with me for a year. Some people are with me for six months, some longer, some less. It really just depends on the work that they need to do. When I work with my Get Flipped Intensive, which is four coaching sessions that are conscious level coaching and then one deep intensive experience with RTT that is two hours long under hypnosis, that program's eight weeks. And at the end of the eight weeks, traditionally people feel they have a much greater understanding of why they've been stuck. They have coping strategies in order to keep themselves unstuck understanding and knowing that healing is never the destination. It's a journey, right? So I always say to people, just because you have this knowledge and this awareness and this acceptance doesn't mean that the next time the tsunami comes, you're not going to feel any discomfort or stress. The goal is that you'll have a better understanding of how you cope with stress and you'll have maybe a lesser duration, a lesser frequency, and a lesser intensity of it. Often they'll come back to me at certain times for like a little power, pick me up, you know, for four sessions or one session or whatever, but they don't have to be with me long-term. And that's an eight-week program and, and they love it and it works. Wow. And so
0: moving into that, how can any listeners kind of locate you or start the process of working with you, find you on socials?
1: Yeah. I try to make it really simple. So my website is flipyourmindset.com. And on that website, you'll find a number of different places where you can just sign up for a free discovery call with me. My discovery calls, I don't mess around. They're 75 minutes. I personally feel when I'm working with people that are coming to me from trauma, there's necessary time needed in order to make a connection. And I'm not interested in doing these 15 minute quick runoffs. It just doesn't make any sense to me. That person needs to get comfortable and trusting with me. And it doesn't happen as quickly as people would like it to happen. So I offer 75 minute free discovery call. And usually at the end of that discovery call, they're going to feel attuned to me or they're not. And they're going to be ready and willing and able to do the work or they're not but at least they'll know that the resource is there. And that, again, is right from my website, FlipYourMindset.com. And then I really use Instagram to educate on trauma. And on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, you can just find me with my name, which is Stacey Urig. It's Stacy with an E-Y. My last name is U-H-R-I-G. Amazing. Well, I wanted to thank you,
0: Stacy, for being a guest. I personally have learned so much from you. And I'm going to go, I actually, while you were talking, I ordered those two books, The Body Cups, Score, and The Myth of Normal. So I'm excited to dig into those, but I am going to look into the ACEs score and kind of do my own little research into what all of that looks like. But I wanted to thank you for being a guest. I definitely learned a lot from you and I look forward to hopefully staying connected with you and following along with all of your words of wisdom and just your Your knowledge on socials.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's really, honestly, it's a gift to have gone through what I've gone through and now be able to pay it back by just educating people so they can be stuck for a less amount of time than I ever was. You know,
0: I think, I think there's a lot of trauma in the world that people just don't like. You said define it or understand it as trauma, but I feel like, but yet they're walking with a
1: trauma response. That's, that's the real challenge.
0: Yeah. You took the words right out of my mouth.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's (laughs) what's happening. And that's why I'm so passionate about speaking and being on podcasts and getting on stages and doing what I can just to create that light bulb moment. That's all I'm trying to do. Create the light bulb moment, create the aha, create the oh shit, and get people to now start to look at their own experiences through a different lens so they can get on that healing journey.
0: Well, I definitely can say that you turned the light bulb on for me, and I am almost positive for the listeners, but I look forward to hearing the reviews and and, and just the feedback from this episode. I feel like it was very informative, but also kind of just sheds light on normalizing trauma because we all have it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I really
0: appreciate it. Absolutely. And hopefully we can stay connected and continue the trauma conversation together. Love it. Happy to do it. Absolutely. And for the listeners, sending you lots of love and lots of light.